Abundance of love, abundance of grace. Now to that cross, you took my place. Oh God, you paid my ransom. My ransom. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people. Now, here's Pastor Scott. Amen. So we'll see how hungry you are this morning. In Daniel chapter 1, I want to read verse 8 and then pray with you. In Daniel 1, 8, the Bible says, But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. I want to speak to you this morning from a sermon titled, Daniel Had the Right Attitude. Look at somebody and ask them the question, is your attitude right? Pray with me. God, thank you for giving us your son and your spirit. Thank you for life, God. Thank you for this moment in our lives, God, to be together as we look to your word. I pray that you'd teach us by your spirit, God. From your word, Lord, I pray that you would anoint me to say the things that you'd have me to say and help us to hear what the Spirit says to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Daniel is one of my favorite books. Uh, I don't know that I'll ever get through a year of Bible study without going back to the book of Daniel. A lot of smaller books in the Bible will never be our book of the month because you'd read through it too fast. And so I read those books without ever putting them on the book of the month. But Daniel is just such a fantastic book, such a storytelling book, such a book where I can watch it. Y'all know if you've been around me for a long time, you know I love to watch the Bible movie in my mind as I read the Scripture. I love to see it played out with with, with my boy Gerard Butler always being the savage, always taking the lead role. Uh, There's good guys and there's bad guys and and there's triumph and there's agony. And listen, I... After Gail died, my kids and I began to realize a theme in every movie we went to. We went and saw Nemo uh, right then. And in the first part of the movie, the mother dies. And we're like, oh, we picked the wrong movie this week because that was just right there fresh on us. And almost every movie we've seen since then involved a mother or a parent dying. We went to see a Hugh Jackman movie about beat-em-up robots called Real Steel. A Hugh Jackman, manly man. We're, we're thinking, okay, it's going to be a fighting movie about some robots. Might, might, might be pretty cool. Whole theme of the story is little boy mom dies. And he comes to live with a huge, and I'm like, we just can't escape this, this, this tragic theme. But then it dawned on me, all true love stories involve tragedy. Your life involves tragedy. Everyone's life involves tragedy. And in the Bible, we see both both tragedy and victory. We, we, we see good, bad, happy, sad, up, down, and all around. And I want you to read the book of Daniel this month, and I want you to let God speak to you through this book. Uh, for some of y'all that know, uh, my sons and I uh, went on a cruise this past week. I thank God for everybody who prayed for our safety. No one got sick. Nobody got seasick. Nobody got hurt. Nothing got stolen. The house didn't get burned down. In our absence, uh, we, we, we came back. I thank God for Sunblock 50, which allowed me to maintain my complexion. I'm not kidding. Y'all think I'm kidding? 
Do I have sunblock 50 in my bag, Seth? Sunblock 50. Think I'm getting out in Mexico staring up at the sun trying to, no, no. Read the reports. I ain't trying to get no kind of cancer. I'll leave that up to Elder Jimmy. Working out in the sun all day long with all the skin cancer. Thank God for health for him and thank God for sunblock 50 for me. People are like, Pastor, you need to get out in the sun. If I get out in the sun, I will be wearing sunblock 50. You know why? Nothing gets through sunblock 50. I stand in the middle of a nuclear explosion in sunblock 50 and be like, ah. We laid on beach chairs. My boys got browner and I wore sunblock 50. It was beautiful. We had a good time. Um, I'm glad to be back in the house of the Lord, but it gave me great opportunities to uh, sit, sit on our balcony on the boat and look at God's creation and spend quiet, reflective time with God. And I thank God for those uh, on our staff that always are willing and able to fill in for me in my absence. And I'm excited to be back today to teach God's word. So give me thanks to God for his son, Jesus Christ, and to Coppertone for Sunblock 50. Y'all go out and get sunburned. Y'all look so silly. I'm, I'm African-American, Pastor. We don't burn. You're lying. I, 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 let, let me ask you, Deacon Dixon, can, can a black man get a sunburn? It ain't comfortable either, is it? I am not trying to go there. Uh, wait, when that song said Jesus loved the little children, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight, I'm not trying to change those. I'm not trying to be two of those at one time. You be you, I'll be me. Amen? I'm trying to get you in a mood to receive. Say receive. The Bible says that laughter does the heart good like a medicine. Some of y'all come to church angry, bitter. Uh, you live your life that way. Don't, don't bring that into church. Church is a sanctuary. Church is a time to forget your troubles. Come on, get happy. Leave the bad on the outside and realize that we come together as one body, one, one faith, one baptism, worshiping one God, believing in one Bible, knowing that there's one spirit that can help all of us. And we're going to look to God's word today. The Bible says that God has elevated his word above his name. God's word is important. Can you agree with that? Let's let it te- be our teacher this morning by God's spirit. Uh, as, as I look in the book of Daniel, I see uh, a story of oppression and victory. And I see very much similar things happening then that have happened throughout all of humanity. There have always been oppressors and oppressed people. The, the, the difficulty is to not be as ignorant as Karl Marx was and try to divide every group into these two and believe that they must stay that way. I can tell you, oppressors will not always be on top, and oppressed will not always be on bottom. Some oppressors will always be on top, and some oppressed people will always be on bottom. Some oppressed people are very happy and filled with love and joy in the midst of their struggle, and some oppressors are very depressed and struggling in the midst of their supposed victory. But we live in a world that tries to divide people into these two groups, they call them in different ways, winners and losers, haves and have-nots, oppressors and oppressed, victims and victors. I thank God for America. So many people believe that it's always about where you start, and that's good to start in a good place. 
it, it helps you in, in, in life. But the United States government statistics, let me give this to some of y'all that, that think if you, if you start on top, you'll always be on top. If you start on bottom, you'll always be on bottom. United States Chamber of Commerce says this. If you are born into the bottom 20% of the economic strata in America, that's poor folks. Say poor. We know about that. That's poor. If you're born into the bottom 20% of the economic strata of the, the United States class system, you have a 96% chance of getting out of that in your lifetime. So just because you're born into poverty don't mean you'll stay in poverty. It all depends on how you handle difficult situations. I, I told you the, the title of the message, Daniel had the right attitude. I thought about my mom as I was preparing for this message, and, and my children are always careful to, to give honor to their Mimi and to be thankful for what God used my mother to do. My mother's family was in desperate poverty. Uh, dirt farmers in rural Louisiana, uh, poor, uh, raising cotton and soybean, had nothing. Six kids in my mom's family. She was one of six. She was the only one to graduate high school. She was the only one to go on and graduate college. She was the only one to successfully leave rural Louisiana and raise educated children. And I've, I've taken my kids to where uh, Dean and I lived uh, for a few years in our childhood. After my dad got out of the Navy, we, we moved to where my mom's people were, and it is bleak. You're talking about, whew. My kids didn't know the stars could be so bright. You get out in the middle of nothing at night. And I told them, this, this, this is how people live. When, when, it's, when it gets dark outside, everybody went to sleep because there was no electricity. My mom grew up in a house with no electricity. They, they grew up in a house walking to, to the barn to use the bathroom. I can remember when my parents, my grandparents finally built a house right before they died that had a bathroom in it. They, they had a funny, meant-to-be-funny sign in the bathroom that said, it took us a lot of money to move this outhouse indoors. Please deposit five cents. My grandfather, until the day he died, never used the bathroom in his home because he thought that was disgusting and only animals would poop where they lived. Okay, that, that, so he walked down to the barn even when he had a bathroom inside a home. But my, my, my mother's side of the family was raised in desperate poverty. All of my cousins, aunts, uncles are, are still poor. Uh, you know, I, I, I hate to just put them on poor white trash blast. Uh, but that's what society would look at them as. All, all poor people aren't trash. One of the things my grandfather taught me, it doesn't matter how poor you are, you can still be decent and you can still be clean. Amen? Okay, so, so the moral of the story is while the world tries to divide us into the haves and the have-nots, the, the haves create, uh, ha commit suicide at a higher rate than the have-nots. Rich people kill themselves more than poor people kill themselves. And rich people are more depressed than poor people. Rich people are viewed as rich based on money, but many poor people are rich in love, in joy, in family, in spirit. Amen? So as the world tries to divide us, and if you watch any television, if you watch any news, the world trying to push half the people to Fox because it creates a narrative that fuels their energy and fuels their hatred of the opposition 
side and trying to push the other half of the people towards CNN because it tells a very different story and, and, and fuels a different hatred and a different narrative. And I don't believe that any media source is to be trusted the way we trust God. They want to divide us. They want to divide us in, into groups because there is money to be made in headline news. That, that's why you don't hear good stories on the news. That's why you don't see a lot. The news doesn't lead with someone being kind to someone, with someone helping a neighbor, with someone helping someone in distress. They don't really lead with those stories as much as, you know, this person wronged this person that way, video at six. Oh, well, I can set my DVR for that because that's about to be. And, and people are easily led into divisive narratives, stories that divide us. This is not new. This is not an American problem. This is a human problem. The devil knows that if he can divide people, cause people to feel like they're on opposing ends of the spectrum, that he can create hate, mistrust, and bitterness. And that's his plan. Jesus came that we could have life and have it more abundantly. The, the devil is here to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to steal your joy. He wants to kill off your hope, and he wants to destroy everything that God has planned for your life. And if you find yourself grouping up, when you are grouping with people, then you are grouping against people. You cannot group with a group of people without grouping against. Well, I'm just for mine. Well, if you really look at what that side is pushing, it's probably at the expense of someone else. And this is not for the body of Christ. The only grouping we should be doing is with our brothers and sisters in Christ. I've told my kids, if, if, if the war that the media wants to happen were to ever break out, our family would not participate. If, if, if there was ever some type of social, class, racial, divisive war in America that was overt and popping off, our family would just disappear into the woods because we don't divide on those lines. The only separation we see and the only group that we group up with is the body of Christ. Inside that group, we should be in us. We should be in us. And if you keep your attitude right, it doesn't matter which group you find yourself in, you can still have victory. It makes it easy. It makes the oppressor feel good to be on top because he can overcome all his failures by still viewing himself as on top. Well, at least I'm not them. So no matter what a pathetic excuse of a failure he is, he can always fall back on the fact that at least I am the oppressor and not the oppressed. And the oppressed always has the fallback for their failures of, well, what do you expect? I'm on bottom. I can't do better. So it's an excuse-making system for patheticness when the reality is the haves often fail and the have-nots often succeed. It doesn't matter where you find yourself in life. If you have the right attitude and you obey God, you can rise to the level that God has for you. And whatever God's level he has for you is, is the level that you should desire to be. This is why it's never been my plan to grow the largest church. I told you all about that pastor who said his number one priority and goal in life was to grow the largest church in North Florida. Never been my plan. It's not my plan to, to have the biggest house 
on the street or drive the nicest car, those are not things that I find success in. I find success in obeying God and keeping my attitude right. And I want to encourage you to learn how to do things that way because it doesn't matter where you are in life on all these devices, structures that the world tells us we fit into. The haves, the have-nots, the victims, the victors, the oppressed, the oppressor. Uh, it doesn't matter where you fall into that strata. If you have the right attitude and you obey God, you'll have a great life, and you'll just smile and be glad for where you are. The reality is we need to have a mindset that the hymn writer said, when the saints go marching in, oh, I just want to be in that number. If you're in that number, it doesn't matter where the world classes you. Because this life is just temporary. This life is just passing by. We're just strangers and foreigners in this land for a little bit of time. It, it's a blink of an eye, and one day soon and very soon we'll be going to eternity. And, and the haves and the have-nots will, will not matter anymore because everybody that's going to be in heaven is going to be happy. So let's think about Daniel as we read this book of the month this month, and let's look at chapter 1 together this morning. In verse 1, the Scripture says in Daniel chapter 1, during the third year... Of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. So here, here's the story. Here's the backdrop. Uh, King Jehoiakim is reigning in Judah. And he is the king and he gets conquered. And as is still the case on every continent in the world, when tribe conquers tribe, the losing tribe becomes slaves. That's not an American problem. That's all over the world. That's in Ireland. That's in Africa. That's in the United Kingdom. That's in Asia. That's everywhere. That, that's in Australia, New Zealand. That's everywhere in the world. When, when one people rise up and conquer the other people, somebody becomes in power and somebody becomes oppressed. And so this is the time in the people of God's life when Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. They overthrew it. They, they conquered it, and King Nebuchadnezzar enslaved an entire nation of people. Now, I tell you all the time, specifically as it relates to the Old Testament, because that keeps uh, the Bible contextually accurate in 1 Corinthians, but it's for the entire Bible, not just the Old Testament, but specifically the Old Testament. I, I tell you all the time that we have these stories for our what? These are examples for us so we can learn from them. The, listen to what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, 11. These things happen to them as examples for us. It, them is talking about people of the Old Testament. Daniel's a person in the Old Testament. So the life of Daniel happened, the, the events happened as examples to us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. Now, you say, Pastor Scott, is that us? Are we the ones that live at the end of the age? I believe we are. I believe that we'll be the last generation of people who live on this earth. I believe the end of time is imminent. The next thing on God's prophetic calendar is the, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the, the rapture of the church. He's going to come, and he's going to take us away. Um, in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we'll be gathered together to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. The scripture tells us, I believe this thing's going to happen soon. But if it doesn't happen for another 5, 50, 500 years, we are more these people than anybody's ever been. Great-grandmama and them, we, we're, for, we're closer to the end of the age than they were. People that died in the 1800s, we're closer than they. We, we, we're as far to the end of the age as 
history has ever been. And so these things are written down to warn us. They happen to them. These stories are our what? Examples. Say examples. So as you read the Bible and you hear these stories, I want you to try to realize there's something in there that's an example for you. There's something in that story that God wants you to learn, and I want us to look through it this year. So we've got King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. They're the bad guys. Say bad. That, that, that's the snarly guy with a weird scar on the side of his face because he's been doing bad junk his whole life. Uh, he, he's against my boy Gerard Butler, but, you know, he's going to get his day one, one day soon. And, but he comes in, and they overthrow Jerusalem and besiege it. Now, for those of you who know Bible history, uh, and for those of you who don't, this period of time is a 70-year time of captivity. This particular enslavement, this particular time of overthrow of God's people lasts for 70 years. Daniel is a teenager at this time. He lives through the entire 70 years uh, of, of slavery but dominating inside of slavery there's a message there for somebody he, he lives through this entire 70 years of his people being oppressed yet he rises above everything and becomes second in command to the whole world so there's a message there for somebody he he lives through this entire time uh and and dies somewhere around 100 years old how, how did daniel die anybody Anybody say, I don't know how Daniel died. Let's just be honest. I don't know how Daniel died. You stand together with all the great theologians of the world because no one knows how Daniel died. No one knows how old he was. No one knows how he died. We, we have chronicled years of which kings came. Daniel served four different kings, dominated everything his whole lifetime, and continue to have two things going for him. His attitude and his obedience. If you don't hear anything else I'm telling you this morning, realize a proper attitude, even in the worst of times, will get you further than a bad attitude. And obedience to God, whether you're on top, the middle, the bottom, or somewhere else, will always get you better and further than disobedience so these things happened as our examples let's let's pick up the story in verse 2 the Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah the Lord gave him victory somebody look in verse 1 and tell me who got the victory over Je over Jehoiakim Nebuchadnezzar Nebuchadnezzar's a bad guy I picture him with long stringy hair ugly and a scar on, on the right side of his face okay that's my Nebuchadnezzar that's how I got him in my movie mind playing out uh, but the, the Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah. And so there's more to that story. Let's stop before the more. The Lord gave Nebuchadnezzar, who is the king of Babylon, who hates Jehovah, who hates the Hebrew, who hates God's people, who stands in opposition to the creator of all there is, who is a... Uh, polytheist he, he worships many false gods he does not worship the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob King Jehoiakim uh, is, is, is representing the good but the him Nebuchadnezzar beats the good 
Now, in today's modern TV lying preacher world that no one should be listening to except fools who like to be parted with their money to make people... Listen, if you're giving money to folk who are buying $60 million jets, you ought to just light it on fire, video it, put it on Instagram. Let the world know I don't care about money. I just throw it away anywhere. Listen, in in the TV world of fake preaching and in the... In the church world of fake preaching, a lot of people blame every loss, every defeat on the devil. Pastor, the devil's messing with my finances. It just, I mean, every time we try to get ahead, something does that. The devil tear my car up. The devil, devil, devil have to, some bill will come due. Why, why does that always have to be the devil? Why is the devil the most powerful person in your universe? Why can't you realize with Scripture and true orthodox theology that God is the one in charge? The devil did not cause Israel to lose. The devil did not cause Jerusalem to be enslaved. The devil did not give Nebuchadnezzar victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and thereby putting an end to all of the Davidic line of succession and and, and doing away with that. No more line of David on the throne after this happens. Oh, it had to be the devil because, you know, what what, what God wants to bless, the devil wants to mess with. The, 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 The devil's coming in. No, who gave Nebuchadnezzar victory? The Lord gave the oppressor victory over his people. Why? Because bad living people sometimes get punished. God is our father, and if we willfully choose disobedience after disobedience after disobedience, our father in heaven is willing to chastise us. This is something I've been saying for the entire 17 years that we've been a church. Some parents rush to get their children out of the ditch when the ditch is the only place they'll learn a lesson. I've already told my children, you go out there, you break the law, commit a crime. Don't ask me to go into debt for no lawyer for you. You will get a public defender and you will plead guilty. And throw yourself on the mercy of the court. And if you get 50 years over it, you get 50 years over it. Why? Man, I grew up watching Beretta. (laughs) Hey, don't mess with baby boomers. I will tell you, don't do the crime if you can't. Don't do it. The parrot knew that much. Y'all don't know about the parrot. I'm going to keep going. The Lord gave this scarred up, stringy haired, evil laughing, wicked scowling Nebuchadnezzar victory over God's people. Listen to this. And when we see the word and in literature, that means there's what? There's more. I I love that, that, that we're a learning church. And there's more. And permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. Read the Bible and tell me who permitted Nebuchadnezzar to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. Well, the devil done broke in and stole from the church. No. The man that God gave victory to, God also gave permission to 
take some of the most sacred objects in the kingdom of God from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar, being the evil, scowling, wicked uh, scoundrel that he is, took those sacred objects from the temple of God back to the land of Babylonia, who hates God and stands against all that God is, and placed them in the treasure house of his little G-O-D. False God, not true God. So if you don't get anything, let's get verse 2. Who gave the enemy the victory? Who gave the enemy permission to take God's best stuff? The devil been taking it. It's time to take back what he stole for you. Didn't, he didn't have to steal it from you. You gave it away. You surrendered it through disobedience. Pastor, the, the devil mess, messing with my marriage. Uh, we, we just seem to, don't we, don't we don't get along like we used to. Well, maybe cheating on each other repeatedly broke some trust and some covenant. Pastor, the devil messing with, with, with my mind. I, I, just, I, just, I just keep, I, I just feel like, uh, you know, drugs and alcohol calling me back. If you didn't answer so often, they'd dial a new number. Oh, you're trying to say it's my fault. You wanted them to take personal responsibility. You want I'm accountable for my own action kind of preachers, huh? Huh? This dude comes in and God gives him victory over God's people. Why? Because God's people need to learn some lessons that they want. They need to learn some lessons in hardship that they were unwilling to learn in ease. If you will not learn lessons in ease under the grace of God, you will learn lessons in the ditch of trial. This is the word of the Lord. This has nothing to do with the devil's plan to harm you. Well, I just don't believe God would put anything on me like that. I don't believe you've ever read the scripture. Because I have. And I know what it says. We don't have to look past verse 2 to find out. God will give your enemy victory over you. If you have consistently. Now, specifically, what Israel have done, if you want to read contextually and find out, catch up to the story, they refused to obey the seven-year Sabbath for the land. And they had violated God's command over and over again. That was a straw that broke the camel's back. It's never really the straw. It's all those straws added together. One of them is just the last move, and, and, and then the trouble hits. I, I wonder what lesson, what level of obedience God is trying to bring you into that you continue to fail at that is ultimately going to result in God giving the enemy permission to overthrow you. What lesson are you refusing to learn that is going to cause God to give the enemy permission to take your sacred things and use them as defilement? This is the word of the Lord. Well, it's not comforting. I tell you, the truth's the truth. And facts don't care about your feelings. Doesn't matter if you like it or if you lump it. The truth is what we need to learn from because everything else is a lie. Verse 3, then, when is then? Then is always after. After Nebuchadnezzar comes in, smacks down Jerusalem, overthrows Jehoiakim, enslaves all of God's people because God ordered it. I told y'all, every time y'all child gets in the ditch, y'all want to run, go get them. It, it was my third time being in jail. My mama told me, if you ever go back to jail, I'm not, not going to come get you. I'm done with that. And, and when they told me, your, your mama won't even come get you. 
it, it, it opened my eyes to something. I must really be pushing the wrong end of this life. Uh, when the per- one person who always bailed me out won't bail me out anymore. I can't, when I can't get bail money from mom, I know that it, it, it's, it's bad, bad news. Some kids are hard-headed and will only learn under the chastening rod of God. Some, you you just saving your kids all the time? That's good when they're two. That's good when they're 12. Listen, they get up into, oh, hey, they, I've heard, my kids haven't tried this, and I thank God. I believe it's the grace of God on my life because he knows I can only deal with so much. He, he, know, he knows that I don't want to go to prison. My kids have not tried me yet. At uh, Jacob be 17 later this month, Seth 14, my kids ha- have, have not got to that place. I hear people say, when my daughter turned 12, she became a different human being. She went from being mommy's little girl to I don't need you and I'm smarter than you. And at some point, these teenagers, a lot of people's teenagers, mine don't have the option, uh, but a lot of people's teenagers get so grown that they act like they don't have to listen to mom and dad anymore. Rescue them when they're two. Maybe rescue them when they're 12. They're, they're 16 years old talking back to you, telling you what they will and won't do. Show them the door. Because if they're that hard-headed, they will not learn under your grace. They will only learn in the ditch. And this is why God's people continuously find themselves in the ditch. It's a cycle that repeats through the entire Bible. God is like being at, uh, at, at the top of a circle in this cycle. God always sets things up perfect. When God created man and woman, they were perfectly right, butt neck in the garden, eating and drinking and having a great time. Then sin came. And, 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 and then chastisement came, and, and then they sought repentance, and then God forgave. God worked, it, worked them through their process and put them back on top. But as time went by, and this is what happens, people get saved. They, everything in their life is awesome, but then sin comes. Refusal to repent follows. Chastisement hits them. They go through the ditch. God uh, gives them repentance, sets things back in order, and they're back on top. So there's this vicious cycle of the life of God's children. You got to determine how low on this thing do you want to go? How, how long do you want to be hard-headed? They were hard-headed, so they end up in bondage. And bondage awaits all rebellious people. Bondage awaits no matter how saved you are or how saved you think you are. No matter what you think about theology, the Bible is always right. And God is always willing to teach lessons the easy way or the hard way. He gives us a choice. He said in the beginning, I said before you a choice, uh, uh, to obey or to disobey. I'll bless you if you obey. I'll chastise you if you disobey. This is a season of 70 years. That's a long time. Most people died. Most people who were alive during this captivity died. Daniel was one of the ones that didn't in verse 3 the bible says then the king which king nebuchadnezzar ugly guy bad guy the villain ordered ashpenaz now i got to think of another villain whoever named this dude ashpenaz now i'm gonna just get i'm gonna just give you my personal preference if you have more than two syllables in your name catch a nickname Shikandra, Dronika, Masonja. I mean, nobody can spell that. Could you imagine naming your child Ashpanaz? 
What are you calling this kid? But it, yeah, ash. What is that? They didn't even have good lotion back then. The king ordered ash, panaz, but good on ash. I mean, ash rose up, took a bad name and did something with it. He's the chief of staff. He was on up. To bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. I told you. The top people don't always stay on the top. The, the, he, the king said, hey, they got all them slaves over there. I, I don't want you to get me none, none, none of those common people. I want you to go get me the, the, the royal people's kids. Pick out some, some of those uh, young men from royal families who are now our slaves and bring them to me. It doesn't matter. Uh, Bill Gates doesn't have kids, but if he had kids, they could become failures too. They could become oppressed too. It doesn't matter how awesome you've provided for your children. I know kids who grew up on the right side of the tracks with every advantage in life and still fell flat on their face. You have got to get your mind out of this demonic lie that the media pushes that says because where you were born, you can only rise so high. God has a plan for you, and if you keep your attitude right and you keep your obedience right, you can walk in to that plan. Now, sometimes God's plan for you is to be born to the right place, on the right side of the tracks, to the right families, to have always done uh, things the right way and still end up in a bad place. These are these, these kids of these royal families, the noble families. They now find themselves as slaves. So they went from the 1% on top to the 1% on bottom in one day. Verse 4 says, Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men. Now, here's the thing about good-looking. Everybody ain't. I've always wondered, do ugly people know they're ugly? And if you're thinking no, then you got to question yourself. Everybody's not good-looking. But good-looking people have it easy until they get old. I give you, I give you a real-life example. We went to uh, see uh, the Braves play last month in Atlanta, beautiful new stadium, and uh, we do what we did. We get the souvenir cups. All of my drinkware is not glassware. It's all plastic cups from wrestling events. Sporting events, it's got athletes' faces on them. This is what we drink out of at the house. WrestleMania cups, Atlanta Braves cups, and, you know, it, it makes me feel better about paying $9.50 for 13 ounces of Coke. We get to take the cup home. So we got our three cups, but because I grew up how I grew up, and, and, and a, lot of, a lot of y'all that were athletes, you, you did the same thing. As everybody bails out of the stadium, we went row by row, and we collected cups. You remember that, Elder Jimmy? What kind of fool pays $9 for a Coke and asks, I want the souvenir cup? You can get the exact same one for $6 in the paper cup. You get that little cheap, flimsy plastic thing with Freddie Freeman's face on it for a couple extra dollars. And they leave them by the hundreds. So 
Just, I send my kids on scavenger. I said, go, 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 go slam all the... The ushers were telling, uh, everybody has to leave now. Seth told them, hey, we're helping the cleanup crew. And, and we, we're just stacking. We got 29. We're walking out with cups like this. 29 cups. Let me show you what good looking will do for you. Jake's carrying a big old whopping load of these cups. Seth's got a big old whopping load. This, this devious girl figures she'll work on Jake uh, because she, she ain't running nothing by me and Seth. She comes up, cute little girl, flipping her hair, smiling, twinkling her eyes. Good looking girl. And she says, I forgot to get my cup. Stop making three-letter words into two syllables, white people. My cup, four-letter words. He's so cute. What? And when I went back to get it, it was gone. I see you have a lot of them. Maybe could you let me have one? And Jake looks over at me because he's thinking, you know, should we get his hot chick a cup? I'm like, we give her a cup. Now, I told him, I said, now, there's a lesson for y'all to be learned there. Pretty people get it easy in life. That girl would have been ugly. Hey, we had other people ask for cups, and I told them point blank, anybody else ask for a cup, tell them go get them the same way you got yours. These are ours. And I told them. We better, when we get to my navigator, we better have 28 cups. <laughs> hey, some of them nine-year-old Atlanta Brave uh, with Hank Aaron on, the, the Hank Aaron's face so faded through the dishwasher you can't even see it. We got to replenish the cabinet. So that little girl learned what all, what all little girls learn. As small children, I bat my eyes and 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 uh, and and sell myself sexually to try to get an advantage. And then when they get older, they want all equality. No, they don't. They want to be able to bat their eyes and get my cups. <laughs> Lie to me. I know the game, and that works, ladies. Tell you get some age on you. Till you go through menopause, which should be called womanopause, and you forget to smile the way you used to smile. And, 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 and what, what used to be that twinkle in your eyes, them daggers you're shooting at people. Good, Pete, good looking people. My man, this bad, scarred up, evil, snarling joker said, select only strong, healthy, and good looking young men. I think he might have been a little soft, a little sugar in the tank. If you study the story, you'll find out this dude Ashpenaz was a eunuch. I need to get some graphic about how they made eunuchs in 600 B.C. This story's going down in 600 B.C., about 604 B.C., to, to be exact. My man's been chopped off. He wasn't transgender. He was just missing. Eunuch. I think he might have had something for these guys, but anyway. He said, make sure they're well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. Now, I'm telling you this for sure. 
when, when he said select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men, the Hebrew context there supports that these were young teens, okay? These are not children. Uh, the, these, well, only in white church. In white church, when they say youth, they're typically talking about teenagers. In black church, when they say youth, they're talking about everybody up to 20. They're in our youth department. Well, for, for six-year-olds? Y'all got to... Anybody know I'm telling the truth? I've been in all black church. My, I spent years in all, as, as I told y'all, two of us. One but two of us. Me and White Wendy. And White Wendy was only there. Why? Because she was married to Black Henry. And that was it. Tell you what I know about youth. This is white people, church, youth, young men, teenagers. This bad dude, this oppressor, he said, I want you to get the good-looking smart ones these were the one percenters these were the children of the royal families these, these were the kids that were born on the right side of the tracks thought they'd always be on top now not only are they on bottom but they are being forced into service of a king who hates their people and probably killed their parents and now they got to go learn his ways his customs and his language he said make sure that they know all their learning that, that they're well-versed in every branch of learning. They had to know astronomy. They had to know math. They had to know literature. They, they're gifted with knowledge and good judgment and are suited to serve in the royal palace. He's like, yeah, I'm going to break them down like a shotgun. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take them rich little snobby kids, the good-looking ones, the smart ones, the, the straight-A honor society ones, I want you to get them, and we are going to jam our culture down their neck. We are going to force them into servitude of gods that they don't believe in. We are going to change their names. Listen, it, there's no mystery why the military cuts off all your hair and gives you clothes you've never worn before when you join the military. They are stripping you of your identity. They are taking away from you everything that you feel is you, and they are making you into something that you've never been before. This is what this evil king decided to do, I'm going to take these young men and I'm going to force them to love our language, our culture. I want the good-looking, rich, little, spoiled kids because we're going to punish them at a different type of mental torture. Verse 5, the king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years, then they would enter the royal service. Now they got this three-year training period, and this is in the beginning of Nebuchadnezzar's reign. And it sounds like not a bad deal. It sounds like, oh, wow, well, you know, they're all slaves, but at least these people get to live in the big house, and they get the king's assignment of food and wine from his own kitchens, not his own table. There's a difference there. I don't have time to go into it, but understand, he picked their food for them. Now, here's the deal. Some cultures eat different food. This is why... I, when people invite me to eat in their home, I recommend let's pick a restaurant. Just trying to keep it easy. Just trying to keep it easy. Because in the early days, when, when, when I was kissing up the members, and, and when I was shaking hands and hugging necks, and, 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 and believing that it was a popularity contest, and I, 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 was, I was taking these home invitation dinners. And I went over a wonderful family, uh, Puerto, well, actually, they were uh, Cuban, Puerto Rican, Puerto Rican, Cuban, whatever, and had me over for dinner. It was like 
literally had like 17 people living in their home. That's not a, that's not a racial joke. That's just a reality is what it was. And so I go to a nice, beautiful home in Orange Park. And, you know, they, they took all day to roast this pig. Real, a, a big old giant pig now. And I, don't, I forget what they call it. In, in the country, uh, white people called it crackling, the hard shell off, off the back. Yeah, it's like that. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Uh, and, you know, that, that's a treat. And so they gave me the crackling. And then like, oh, mommy loves you, pastor. She gave you a crackling, whatever they called it. And I'm like, hey, man, I've been eating this my whole life. You know, it's just swine. Let's don't get too excited about it. <laughs> and so then we eat, beautiful meal, 75 courses, food that I couldn't pronounce names of. I'm trying to get it all down. And then comes the big reveal. We have a special treat for you, Pastor. Mommy made you the flan. The flan? The flan. D-A flan. The flan. Thank you. We beg for the flan all the time. She never make us the flan. She made you the flan. And we're going to eat the flan with you. Dinner. So I'm thinking, oh, well, sounds like dessert, right? That's normal people's idea for dessert. And so I'm thankful. I make it through a bunch of food I've never seen before and couldn't pronounce the names of. And then I'm waiting. And the kids are all excited, you know, the whole dozen. And then they bring it in, the flan. And I don't, I mean, I don't know how they cut it with a knife because it was just gooey raw eggs with some gunk put in it. Anybody ever ate the flan? Does it have eggs in it? It just looked, oh, it, literally the vilest thing I ever put in my mouth, the flan. Pastor, we'd love to have you over for dinner. Yeah, uh, Olive Garden. Out back, Texas Roadhouse. I'll even slum at a Red Lobster. I don't mind. You know, crusty crab. We we go over there. You want to throw down? We go over there to the Ramada Inn in Mandarin on Friday night and have all you can eat crab leg seafood buffet for forty dollars a plate. Uh, but the flan. But they made. I had to eat that. Uh, why? Because I was in someone else's customs culture and home and I ate by choice I tried to get it down you know what you do when you don't like it you just smear it around your plate or you do what Sugar Hill did say that's it I gotta leave this place I don't care what these people think so I ran to the store for quick relief from a bottle of K.O. Pectate. <laughs> and I called my friend two weeks later to see how he has been. And he said, I understand about the food, baby, but we're still friends. <laughs> you smeared that around on your plate, man. <laughs> and you're like, you like the flan? It's different. Anybody ever tells you it's different or you have a unique look, it's stinking you ugly. So... They're eating this food. 
They're being forced to learn a new culture. They're being forced to learn an oppressor's culture. And we're not getting far in this story. Verse 6. So they're the 1% kids. Now they're being forced to what some people would say, well, they were lucky because they got to live in a big house and they got to eat from a better kitchen. They were being forced to eat food that was in direct opposition to their spiritual laws. Food that God had told them not to eat. They were being forced to drink wine, which was not in opposition to God's law, but it was wine that had been sacrificed to false gods, which was in opposition to God's law. So they are being put in a place of constant compromise, mental, physical torture. Verse 6 says, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were the four young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. Now, if you were to ask somebody who were Daniel's three friends in the Old Testament, they would not tell you Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah which are their Hebrew names, and all of those names, Daniel's name and his three friends, all contain the word God in their Hebrew pronunciation. And they reference the God of Israel. And the names that they were given by their oppressors all have false gods in their names and reference gods that oppose the gods of their families. And so these are the young men that were chosen. Verse 7, the chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belteshazzar, Hananiah was called Shadrach, Mishael was called Meshach, and Azariah was called, listen, this is the most, one of the most mispronounced names in all of modern reading of Scripture. His name is not Abendigo, it's Abednego. Or, as certain friends of mine have said, a bad Negro. That's not the pronunciation either. But he probably was. <laughs> Laughter does the heart good. I had a person, last time I told that joke was over a decade ago, and I had three families quit. <laughs> and I got a 200-word email saying that I had insulted all black people, and they couldn't come to such a racist place ever again. Laugh, you're going to be all right. Funny is funny. But they gave these people names that stood in opposition to who they were and who they worshipped. It's more torture. Verse 8, but Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king, period. This is what I want you to see. Daniel was determined. These are our examples. If you do what the people that were blessed did, you can be blessed. Daniel was blessed. If you do what the people who were chastised did, you can be chastised. We, we want to... We want to do the right behavior and stay away from the wrong behavior. Daniel did the right thing. Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and the wine given to them by the king. There are very few examples in the Bible where God did not choose to show us the dirt of humanity on our heroes of the faith. Most of them, God laid them out. We, we see Peter was always putting his foot in his mouth, and, and, and Peter denied Christ. We, we see Abraham uh, doing all types of scandalous things, uh, even when he came into one uh, country whose custom was uh, if, if the woman's married and they want her, it, it's legal to kill the man and just abduct the woman. So you all remember what Abraham told his wife? Yeah, the enemy dude's ass. You let him know you're my sister. I ain't in it. My name's Bennett. I ain't in it. <laughs> and they ain't trying to kill me for you. 
uh, well, what if they just take her? Hey, you, you got to do what you got to do. But I'm not trying to get killed. I mean, all of our heroes, God chose to show us their humanity and their wrong. Daniel stands as a stark exception uh, in that as one of the only people that God does not show. Daniel always shows as a, of an example of what to do. Daniel's a safe person to model right behavior, and Daniel was determined. If Daniel was determined and Daniel is a safe person to model correct behavior, then how should we as followers of God's people be determined? You need to live life determined to do what God has for you to do. You need to live life on purpose. You need to realize that every day you are walking the journey that God has for you, and you need to be determined to do it the right way. Daniel was determined not to defile himself, and we need to be, as God's people in 2018, determined not to defile ourselves. Tomorrow I'll turn 55 years old, and I've already made a proclamation in my heart and in, in, in prayer to God that I am going to be determined in my 55th year on this planet to not defile myself in ways that I have done in the past. You say, well, you're a pastor. Do you Listen, everybody's got issues, amen? Daniel was determined not, I want you to get determined to not defile yourself in any way. This way was eating food and wine was given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. There's a, a right way and a wrong way to rebel. Burning stuff down, crashing windows of innocent business owners, and throwing rocks at cops with guns is not a proper or an intelligent way to rebel. He asked for permission. He, he did this thing peacefully. He, he, he tried to do it with permission, but he was determined that he was going to not do things that he felt violated his spirituality. So he asked the chief of staff, anybody remember what that man's name is? Ash Panaz, for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Now, in verse 9, now God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for David. Now, I'm a little concerned about that, but it's not going to take time to preach on that. But, you know, if your jailer becomes affectionate towards you, you need to let him know, hey, that's all good in the neighborhood, but I don't swing like that. You know, we get off Sugar Hill Gang, we go, go straight to Tone Low. Just let them know. This is the 80s, and I'm down with the ladies. Uh, <laughs> not, ain't no plan with a man. And so, Ashpenaz got respect and affection for it. Maybe it was innocent. Maybe it was, you know, who, who knows. But, you know, the man was chopped off, so I don't know what his affection had led to. But... In verse 10, he responded, Ashpenaz said, I'm afraid of my Lord the king who has ordered that you eat this food and wine. If you become pale and then compared to the other youth your age, I'm afraid the king will have me beheaded. Daniel is asking his oppressor to do something kind for him that could get him killed. See, the Bible says when your ways please the Lord, he'll give you favor with, with, with God and people. That you can even be at peace with your enemies. You don't have to, if you're the oppressed, you don't have to war against the oppressor. You just have to be determined not to defile yourself and to keep a good attitude and let God do with you what God's going to do with you. Daniel wasn't like so many of us. Well, once I get on top, then I'll really be who God. No, where you are, you have to have a good attitude. Where you are, you have to be determined not to defile yourself. Where you find yourself, embrace your space and run your race. 
You, you, all this waiting until you get above may never happen. Daniel didn't wait till he got on top, but he was living such a good life that even his oppressor was kind to him. He was even able to ask his oppressor to do something that might get this dude killed. Verse 11, Daniel spoke with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff. Now, this is a different dude uh, to look after Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Verse 12, he said, please let us for 10 days, test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water, Daniel said. This is where a lot of people get what they call the Daniel fast or the Daniel diet. And uh, he, he, he's, he knows this guy wants to help him. He knows that there's humanity in his oppressor. He knows that God has given him favor and grace in the eyes of his oppressor. And so he says, man, I, I don't want to get you in trouble, but I know this is going to work. Just try it for 10 days. In verse 13, at the end of 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. Do you realize if you paint a picture in a scenario where you let your oppressor think they're making all the decisions, but you're pulling strings behind their back, that they will agree with you? Throwing rocks and breaking windows don't work. By any means necessary causes mass incarceration. Dr. King's ways work. That's why America is a better place now than it was in the 60s. You don't have to agree with me. The truth's the truth anyhow. And so he's going for a peaceful resolution. He, he's letting him say, hey, I tell you what, you make a decision. Well, he already knows what decision is going to be. He's just trying to guide the man in, in the right path. You need to learn how to finesse even your oppressor. Nelson Mandela wrote a great piece on the oppressed and the oppressor. And he said, both need liberation for I see humanity in everyone's eyes. And he, he believed that his oppressor needed liberation as much as he did because he understood that hate was a learned behavior. And if hate can be learned, it can be unlearned. And if hate can be learned, love can be learned. And love is stronger than hate because it is our natural state. Read that in your spare time and learn something from some brilliant people. Then in verse 14, the attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion. He said, all right, dog, I like you. You're good with me. Uh, you know, the king hates y'all, but you're good with me. Verse 15 at the end of 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating food assigned by the king. Now, this is, without saying it, miraculous in and of itself. If you are used to eating good food, see, the king's trying to plump these people up. The king is trying to get them to look more Babylonian in nature and less slave-like in nature because he wants them to serve in the palace. And so he's trying to fatten these up, and you don't typically fatten up on water and vegetables. But they look healthier. Now, y'all understand what that means. That's one healthy woman right there. What is she? Thick? No, fat. That's what King was looking for. And they look better. than, than they, they, they look thicker than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. Verse 16, so after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of food and wine provided for others. I want you to learn something from this. If you are right in your convictions and you have a right attitude, even toward people who are against you, God can give you favor with them, and they can help you on your journey. If you are bitter and negative and just ticked off at everything, and you are snarling in the face of everybody who you feel like may be against you, you are going to lead a tough life. 
when, when I see my kids acting in any way contrary, if I see them acting in a negative capacity, I let them know, you ain't been through enough to be that mean. You ain't been through enough to be that hard. And you don't want to go through that hard road. You need to learn how to love people that you feel like are above you, below you, beside you. People are people, and God has commanded us to love people. And Daniel and his three friends got what they wanted, and what they wanted was to be undefiled. What they wanted to be right with their God. What they wanted to do was to get along in the process of their journey. Too many people have forgotten that is a proper path to change. Well, I ain't trying to get along. We, it, it's time to rise up. Well, rising up is going to ultimately end in suicide by cop. That's what they call it. Y'all know that. Uh, it, that's what it's going to end up in. We need to learn how to follow God's plan, even with people who oppose us. We need to learn how to do the right thing with the right attitude and allow God to give us grace on every side. In verse 17, God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. It's only when you operate with the right attitude and you obey God and you determine not to defile your spiritual conviction that you can start seeing supernatural things happen in your life. They didn't just learn stuff better than other people. God gave them supernatural capacity to be smarter, to be wiser, and to increase in their learning. Most of us don't stay straight and faithful to God long enough. We, we just ask God the night before the test or the morning of the test, Lord, please help me. <laughs> you know I don't know the answers to this test. That is not a prayer God is likely to help you with. I've told my children, I'll tell you this, as we get ready to wrap this up, there is no such thing as luck. What people call luck is truly preparation meeting opportunity. You be prepared. You be prepared. I love baseball. I see, I see stories in baseball for life. The, the toughest person in a game to try to get a hit is the guy who's been sitting on the bench for the majority of the game. He has not been involved in the game mentally. He has not had seen any pitches from the pitcher. He's not had a first at-bat to strike out, and he's not going to get a second at-bat to try to get a hit. He is the designated hitter, or the not the designated hitter because I don't believe in that. That's American League. In real baseball, in the National League, he is the pinch hitter. He comes in, and he gets one at-bat. And if he's been goofing off through the whole game, I'm not in the lineup, so I'm not even going to do he, he He hasn't been paying attention to what type of balls the pitcher, what kind of movement the pitcher has on his stuff. If he's not actively engaged and ready with a put-me-in-coach-I'm-ready-to-play mindset, then when he gets up to the plate, he is going to be unprepared and overwhelmed. But if he has worked hard his entire life, if he has perfected his art of hitting, if he has stayed engaged in the game even when it looked like he wasn't in the game, when he got inserted into the game, he his opportunity was fortuitous because he was prepared. Be prepared when your opportunity comes. Don't let opportunity, oh, well, my so-and-so just got lucky. Uh, chances are they were prepared before opportunity came. And when opportunity came, their preparation caused them to succeed. You need to be prepared. 
You need to be. When there was a Boy Scouts, who now in the name of gender equality uh, is now the Scouts because they're letting girls in. Funny how boys never try to get into Girl Scouts. Girls want to wrestle on the boys' team. Funny how boys never get to wrestle on the girls' team. I, hey, I almost, I almost had my kids do that because they both wrestled for their schools. I, I almost started a nationwide movement. I, I put my boys on the girls' wrestling team for equality and domination. <laughs> you need to be prepared. The, the, these, these young men were prepared but with the right attitude. They were prepared with the right uh, determination. They were prepared by obeying God. And when their opportunity came for learning, God gave them special abilities to do things that other people couldn't do. People sitting back wondering, when my ship going to come in, Pastor? When am I going to get my big break? When, when, when am I going to be lucky? If you're not prepared, you don't deserve what you think luck is. Same thing I tell you about when, when you're going to get your big mansion uh, on, the, on the river. If you don't take care of your single wide, you don't deserve a double wide. If you don't take care of your one bedroom, you shouldn't ask God to bless you with a two bedroom. Why? why? If you're going to be unfaithful with, with the three talents God has given you, don't complain that he gave somebody else ten talents. you got to be prepared for your opportunity. These people were prepared. They were doing the right thing. They were keeping the right attitude. Verse 18, when the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. The training period is complete. How many years was the training period, people who are paying attention? Three years. Three years. People come to church three times. What y'all want me to run? Uh, I, I'm looking to lead a ministry. I'm ready to take over. Uh, okay, Jesus spent 30 years in preparation. People today want it all, and they want it all right now. These people spent three years, and when that three years was, was, was over, was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to the king. Now they're about to get into their governmental duties. Verse 19, the king talked with him, and no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. These are the four that rose to the top, not because they were lucky. They rose to the top because they would not defile themselves. They rose to the top because they kept a proper attitude. They rose to the top in an oppressive regime as slaves to, to rise to the top because they stayed right with God and they treated everyone with dignity and kindness. And God gave them favor across the board. There are lessons to be learned here that I don't have time to get into. Daniel rose even higher than his three friends. All his three friends served as rulers over provinces. But Daniel, if you read the story, became second in the whole land. A slave who was forced into servitude to a king that hated and probably killed his family hated and refused to worship his God. But they impressed him because they had a good attitude and because God was blessing them. Whenever the king consulted them in any manner requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them ten times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. They only did three years of training. These other people have been in the service of this king for a long time, yet they're ten times better. That's not natural. That's supernatural. These are young teenage boys that are ten times better at doing the king's stuff than the king's people who've been doing it their whole life are doing it. 
Why? Because if you keep your attitude right, if you get prepared for the opportunity God has for you in your journey, if you don't complain about being on the bottom and hate the people that are on the top, God can give you favor and supernatural ability and put you in the place he has for you. Last verse. Daniel remained in the royal service until the first year of the reign of King Cyrus. Daniel served four different kings. Stayed. Number two in command. The whole world. The whole time. Always as the slave who would be second in command. Always as the one who started on the top, ended up on the bottom, and found his way through a proper attitude, proper preparation, and refusal to defile his spiritual convictions. If the people in this room would get our, if we could get our attitude better and learn to embrace where we are and not where we wish we were, if we could be thankful for what we have and not bitter over what we don't have, if we could make the best of our opportunity instead of complaining about missed opportunities and, 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 and being bitter because others got opportunities that we did not, God could elevate us. You say, well, I thought it wasn't all about elevation, Pastor. The elevation that God gives us is so that we can brag on Him. So we can turn our story into His glory. It's what Daniel did. It's what you can do. You're not always going to be where you are. You, you'll go up. You'll go down. You'll go sideways. Forwards and backwards. In and out. You can't control the wind. You can't control the rain. You can't control the opportunities that come your way. But you can't be prepared. You can't have a good attitude. It can be determined that you're not going to do anything that goes against your spiritual conviction. I want to ask you today, are you determined? I know there are people in this room, you do stuff willingly that you know God does not want you to do. Please, please, please don't ask me next time tragedy comes your way why you're always going through. Lack of obedience. Are you willing to defile yourself willingly? Are you willing to do things that you know compromise your spiritual conviction? And then still you want to get mad at God and God's people when things don't go your way? This is the life choices that we have. A choice to obey or a choice to disobey. Jeremiah prophesied 70 years of captivity for God's people. And Daniel lived through those entire 70 years. He never rose as high as he could have. We don't even know if he rose as high as he would have. He was from the royal families of a free people, of a blessed people in Jerusalem. They got besieged overthrown and enslaved but you can't read the story of Daniel without realizing he kept a good attitude he loved and honored God every step of his life and as a result God blessed him for it he was never number one but he was awesome in his place some kind of way America has convinced people that everybody's got to be number one. Everybody can't be number one. Everybody's not descended from kings and queens, no matter what continent you came from. 
Some of us are descended from poor dirt farmers in rural Louisiana. But God has a race for each of us. God has a plan for your life. God said in Jeremiah that I know the plans I have for you. They're good plans. Plans to prosper you, to give you a hope and a future. That's what our Heavenly Father wants. He wants for you as His child what you and your goodness want for your children. A good life. Good things. Happiness. Joy. Fulfillment. But ultimately, they have to make their choices and they have to walk their road. I've seen children from good homes go bad. I've seen children from bad homes go good. Because you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Parents, you can bring your children to church, but you can't make them receive. You can bring yourself to church and choose not to receive. But if you were to decide, I am determined. I'm determined to not defile myself. He wasn't determined not to let the devil have his way. He wasn't determined to not, 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 he, he wasn't putting the blame or the onus on others. He was putting it all on himself. He was determined not to defile himself. See, that's, that's where most people miss it. They want to blame others. It's always someone else's fault. That story is as old as Adam and Eve. Last thing I'm, I'm going to tell you today. The only person you can change is you. Republicans want to change Democrats. Democrats want to change independents. This group wants that group to change. That group wants this group to change. Force change doesn't work. But self-change can take place if you are determined to do better. Daniel refused to cave in. He wasn't going to cave into culture. He wasn't going to cave into everybody's doing it. He wasn't going to cave in. It's not my fault. They put me in this bad place and the king's making everybody eat this. He was determined against all odds to hold true to his spirituality and true to his convictions. He would not defile himself. That type of life sometimes comes at a cost. And as you read the book of Daniel, you'll find out there were costs to pay. Are you willing to pay the cost to walk in determination? I will be the child of God that honors the Father. Up, down. If God chooses to allow people to overthrow me and enslave me, or if God chooses to raise me up, determined not to defile himself. Where are you right now? You're in a good place? Dominating? You're on top? Everything's going great for you? Give God the glory. And don't take God's credit. Don't steal the credit from God. Well, I did it all myself. No. God gave you breath that you can't create. You can't even see. God gave you oxygen. God gave you the ability that you have if you've done anything. Where are you at right now? Busted, disgusted, can't be trusted? Get determined not to defile yourself. Riches, wealth, popularity, fame, none of that is worth self-defilement. Young people, you're going back to school soon. You be determined. You are not going to defile yourself to this culture. It is not for you. No matter whose table you sit at, remember whose child you are. 
go to work, adults, you work around people that don't love your God, that, 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 that tell bad jokes, that say evil things, you need to be determined. Doesn't matter whose table you're sitting at, you're not going to defile your father or yourself. You are not going to act like you belong somewhere that you don't belong. Stay true to spiritual conviction. Stay true to the God of the Bible and the Bible of God. Keep your attitude right, even in hardship. Stay the course. Be prepared. Do the best you can with what you have. Don't complain. Don't murmur. This is the word of the Lord. How's your attitude about your situation? You can choose to let things make you bitter, or you can choose to let them make you better. Stop blaming your situation on other things. Take personal responsibility for where you are right now. Draw a line in the sand and say, I'm going to get determined to do the right thing, the right way, with a good attitude. The Bible says that God's will for your life is thankfulness. Be ye thankful in every situation. Last six words I'm going to say. Are you determined to stay faithful? Let's pray. God, thank you for always being faithful. Thank you for always being kind and patient and loving. Thank you for always giving us a way to escape. Thank you for always showing us a path that is lit by your word. God, I pray that even as Daniel was determined not to defile himself, God, that you will allow me to live a life of determination not to defile myself. As others in this room make that determination, God, strengthen us. Give us supernatural wisdom. Fill us with the Holy Ghost. Empower us to do and to be all that you'd have us to do and to be. Teach us your ways. Help us to say yes to your will. Help us to say yes to your way in good times and in bad times. Help us to have an attitude of gratitude. Help us to be grateful even when things look bleak, knowing that every good thing comes from you. Thank you for everything you've done for us, God, and we thank you by faith in advance for the good things that we know are to come in this life and the next. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast. And visit us on the web at AOCFnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to AOCFnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people.